tonight, we've got a United States Senator from Vermont joining us, and it's not Bernie. Senator Patrick Leahy is the Senate's president pro temp. He's the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee, and he's the most senior member of the Senate. Senator Leahy, great to have you on the Unters. It's very good to be very good to be with you. I appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Senator Leahy's written a book, The Road Taken, a memoir. I get it. I get the frost. Uh, reference. Um, so Senator Lee, there's so much to talk about. You entered uh, the Senate in 1974 when you were 33 years old. Uh, now, this many years later, um, it is very, very different. So I wanna ask some specific questions about how different it is, including how I think money and corruption has changed it. Super curious to hear your take on that. But let me start broadly. Um, what is the biggest difference in your mind between back then and today in the Senate? Well, one of the reasons I wrote the road taken, I knew I was going to be retiring, but I want to give people some idea of how it could be and how it is. When I came there, you know, I was I was probably the only Democrat ever elected in Vermont's history uh, to the Senate. And I I came there actually kind of full of awe of the uh, of the Senate. And I had people there who I saw people that worked together, Republicans and Democrats alike. And I thought that's the way it always would be. I was invited on trips as a junior most member of the Senate with delegations, an equal number of Democrats and Republicans from the most junior to the leadership members. And I saw on those trips how they would talk to each other and get things done. That's not the way it is now. Now it's polarized. It's not people don't take advantage of the fact that it's a six-year term. They're more concerned about what's what's the next news cycle in six minutes or six hours. Yeah, and what do you think, in your opinion, is the the main thing that contributed to making that happen? I think a lot of it began at the time when uh, Newt Gingrich became speaker and, and said it's going to be all one party. If a party's in control, they've got to do everything, and the others are going to just follow along. Some of his members then became senators and thought they should be the same way. What I say is we're a nation of 325 million Americans. We only have 100 senators. Uh, we ought to be thinking of all America. We ought to be thinking of what are the values of our country. But we have seen such a heavy influence of single issue groups from either the right or the left, enormous amounts of money that come in. And you don't speak about issues, you just have a tax on your opponent. I've never run a negative ad. And I've become the only Democrat ever elected in Vermont. It's paid off. But I realize some other states that might not work. But if we would get back to a time we'd actually have debates, talk about the issues, and then go back to the Senate and work together to actually accomplish things, the whole country would be better off. 
So you mentioned money there. You are the last remaining senator, as far as I know, from the what I call the pre-bribery era. <laughs> so, in 1976, Buckley v. Baleo, and then 1978, Bilotti were two Supreme Court decisions that allowed basically unlimited money to flow into politics. Citizens United, in a sense, shot a dead horse. And so, do you remember the era before people were allowed to give tons and tons of cash to politicians? I do. I think Citizens United was one of the most damaging things the court could do. And I think it damaged the whole democratic process. It relied on how much money, which single issue or special interest groups you could get on your side. That's not democracy. And it is getting even worse. We've seen the enormous amount of money that poured in to pick Supreme Court justices that the special interests People want it, and it's paying off for them. So that diminishes the respect that people have had in both parties for the Supreme Court. Certainly, it's diminished the respect Americans have for the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. That is going to hurt all of us in the long run, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. If if the individual is not as important as the big money groups we're all hurting. So Senator Leahy, um, it, to your point, there was just the, the news that there was a 1.6 billion, not million, 1.6 billion dollar contribution from a right wing funder to the Federalist Society. So he thought they did a pretty good job of purchasing the Supreme Court and they should keep on buying. Um, so this is an open auction. Um, and. Uh, the Republicans have always been the party of big business. On the social issues, Democrats and Republicans flipped, but on economic issues, they've always been for big business. They've always been for the wealthy. But um, Tony Coelho, back in 1978, after those decisions, decided to make the Democratic Party in favor of big business as well. And it seems to have largely worked. So when you look around the Democratic Party now, do you see the effect of money? Corrupting within the party as well. I think money corrupts. I also think the single issue groups on the right or the left corrupt because there are very few things that can be considered just one issue, and yet that's what we're seeing. When when I wrote my book, I put in the fact that I think my first campaign. You know this, and this is the book. But my first campaign, you know, we were Vermont was the only state in the union, never elected a Democrat, never elected anybody under fifty. I was a thirty-four-year-old outgoing prosecutor, and I think we were able to raise eighty thousand dollars or something like that for the campaign. Borrowed another twenty-five thousand to make it through. Those days are long gone. And and that's a shame because now a huge amounts of money come in, a huge number of negative ads, and I've never run a negative ad, but the negative ads come in and it turns everybody off on everybody. But uh, Citizens United was one of the worst things ever happened to this country, and I think it's led to the 
uh, lack of respect of the courts, everything else. I, you know, I was a prosecutor. I was a trial lawyer. I'd walk into every courtroom and I'd say, whoever the judge is, whether they're appointed by a Republican or a Democrat, I assume they're going to be fair. Now you walk into the court and you say, what's the position of the Federalist Society? What's guiding this judge? That's going to hurt everybody in this country. It's going to hurt everybody, conservative and liberal. Yeah, for absolutely, uh, because moneyed interests don't care about Republican or Democrat. They just care about their interests, and and they're not interested in the American people. And so, and and, and their interests are often not yours or mine or the average American. Uh, they want tax laws that favor them. The heck with you. They want environmental laws and uh, trade laws or anything else that favor them. And it may, and it's probably going to be at your expense. Yeah. So tell us the story of John Stennis, the uh, Republican senator from Mississippi, or the senator from Mississippi uh, back then, and how you guys disagreed on the Vietnam War, uh, and and what happened. Because I want to juxtapose it to how it is today. Sure. Well, the I had opposed the Vietnam War, even though at that time. The majority of, of Vermonters supported the Vietnam War, and certainly our newspapers supported it. But I said I'd vote against it. I'd been there just a couple of months, and they were going to have a vote to reauthorize the war. I was against that. And they had five votes in a row, each one lost by one vote, my vote. I was the only uh, Vermonter who ever voted against the war, even though we had several who spoke against it, but wouldn't vote to end it. Stennis obviously was a supporter of the war. He disagreed with me, but he said, okay, you followed your conscience. I respect that. Let's hope we might be together on something in the future. Yeah, so he was a very conservative Democrat back in the day. And so, yeah, and uh, and so does that ever happen anymore where uh, Republicans or, or, and Democrats, or just within the same party, people who really vehemently disagree, get together and go, ah, it's okay, you voted your conscience. Not anywhere near enough. I try to invite senators of both parties into my office uh, as president pro tem. I have a nice office, a great view of them all, especially in the evening around sunset time for uh, prayer hour and holy water. Uh, the holy water might be single malt or 12 years old, but <laughs> we sit around and talk. And we find that across the political spectrum, we find often we have areas of agreement. I said, let's, let's work on that. And that has helped. But there's nowhere near enough of it. And that's why I wrote my book. I'm hoping new senators will look at it, see the way it used to be, and how much better that was. Yeah, so uh, the book's called The Road Taken. And and so you've seen the arc of the Democratic Party. You saw a young Bernie Sanders coming up. Uh, and, and now people are saying he's too old, right? And, uh, and he, and, but, to, but at the same time, they thought he was too liberal back then. They think he's too liberal now. Uh, well, no, uh, Bernie, Bernie and I are about the same age. Uh, he did run against me the first time I ran as a third party candidate, but we became good friends. In fact, our son babysat his son so that he and I could go in and debate 
at one point. I mean, that, Vermont's a little bit different place. We don't yeah. have grudges. Okay, well, that's great, um, and and that's a heartwarming story. That's the the, the America we want to get back to, right? So, but that's as America, you we have to get back to it. If we don't get back to it, every one of us suffer, whether we're Republican or Democrat. Yeah. So finally, throughout all those years, what do you make of the arc of the Democratic Party? Well, the good part is we, the segregationists and whatnot, were. Part of the old guard and the Democratic Party are gone. Uh, I think we've become a more diverse party, uh, but I think that we sometimes forget that the talking about things is not as effective as actually getting something done. But I'd still rather be in the Democratic Party than the Republican Party. Well, I think everybody can agree to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Senator Patrick Leahy. Uh, one of the longest serving senators in American history. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, really appreciate it. And, and everybody, make sure you check out the book, The Road Taken. Thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you again one of these days. Would love to. I know. All right, now we're gonna talk about the miracle in Kansas. And people are always talking about what's the matter with Kansas? Wrong, what's great with Kansas? Uh, the latest uh, vote on abortion was shocking, surprising. And we have the answers for uh, how it happened and what it might mean for the rest of the country. Joining us now is Brent Welder, great progressive, uh, ran uh, in Kansas third district as a justice Democrat earlier, served with Bernie Sanders in the platform committee, uh, did the best uh, proposal in the platform committee's history, if you ask me. It's about money and politics. He's also a catastrophic injury and wrongful death attorney. He's won multi-million dollar settlements, so a jack of all trades. Um, so Brent, uh, you're in Kansas and uh, we had this vote. First, tell us about the vote, set it up for us. Well, I mean, it, it was shocking. It, uh, first of all, the vote itself was, was rigged from the get-go because it was the language of the, of the ballot measure, the timing of the ballot measure was all created by a supermajority of Republicans in the Kansas legislature. So not just any Republicans, Kansas Republicans uh, and a supermajority of them. They, they put the, the vote on the primary because they knew there was expected to be way, way, way more Republicans coming out in the primary because there was a lot of Republican primary contested um, races and way more Republicans did come out. But every, no, despite every single thing they did, they couldn't stop the will of the people on an important progressive issue. And ultimately the pro-choice side won the ballot measure by about a 60 to 40 margin. Um, just absolutely incredible. So Brent, it's, so first of all, that kind of shocked the whole country because all our lives we've been told by the media and everyone else that Kansas is really conservative, Kansas conservative, conservative, heartland, heartland, conservative, right wing, right? 60 to 40 pro-choice in Kansas, but wait, it gets crazier. So I'm just gonna read these numbers and then ask you about it. Uh, so in that election, Kansas had about 454,000 Republican voters and only 281,000 Democrats. 454 to 281 and about 184,000 independents. How the hell did we win 60 to 40 when the Republicans outnumbered the Democrats and the independents combined, if I've got my math right? 
That's right. And and not only that, I mean, for one, I think if you, I think, uh, you know, I, I was kind of doing the math on the back of the napkin there. I think even if you can sit, if you assume that every single Democrat voted pro-choice and every single independent, uh, there was still even more votes than that uh, for the pro-choice side of the amendment. So, you know, that kind of gives you an idea. All four uh, U.S. congressional districts in Kansas went pro-choice, even, um, you know, the absolute most conservative one out in western Kansas that has had just some of the most conservative members of Congress, you know, representing them, uh, went pro-choice. Um, and you know, it, you know, another thing too that I think hasn't really been covered so much um, about this in the the media and the mainstream kind of press that I've been seeing, and it's kind of and it's kind of hard to to cover it unless you're really talking to people that were here on the ground, is that um, leading up to the vote, I was really afraid. That uh, the the anti-choice side was going to win in a landslide, and not only because the question on the ballot itself was rigged, it was a ridiculously worded question. Not only because of the timing and everything the Republican legislature did to to, to kind of try to rig the vote, but because actually the um, the anti-choice campaign, from a tactical perspective, was really well run. They had a really solid, you know, consistent message. Uh, the the themes that they used were actually literally, you know, written onto the ballot itself because the Republican legislature wrote the ballot measure. And um, you know, on the other side, the pro-choice campaign, unfortunately, was I thought incredibly ineffectively run. Um, you know, there was still about the same amount of money spent on both sides, but there was no real consistent message. They couldn't; it didn't seem like they could really figure out exactly how they wanted to say it and what they wanted to say. The quality of the ads were very bad, but none of it mattered. It didn't matter when it was. It didn't matter how many you know Republicans were coming out versus Democrats. It didn't matter how you know poorly the pro-choice campaign was run and how effectively the anti-choice campaign was run. At the end of the day, the voters knew what they wanted. The voters knew it. And they voted that way, and none, nothing else mattered. And I think that um, you know could really have um, a, a big a big impact potentially on the elections this November. Um, but I also think you know there's a lot to discuss about what does that mean that voters consistently in ballot measures vote overwhelmingly progressive, but yet um, the representatives that that get elected and that get put in front of the people by the leaders in Washington um, are not progressive and don't do anything progressive. Yeah, every time I talk to you, I learn an amazing new fact about uh, what happened in Kansas. So the Republicans crafted it, they put it on at the time that they wanted. They had way more voters than the Democrats, not even close. Uh, there was almost no de contested Democratic primaries, no reason for Democrats to even show up. They spent the same amount of money at least, had a way better campaign. And I and they lost in the in every Kansas district. That's that's unbelievable. It'd be one thing if they it's lost in Kansas three, but they lost in every Kansas district. It's unbelievable. And so that means that there's some chance that that the Democrats are sitting on a tsunami, and and generally speaking, as usual with Democrats, they don't know it. Um, so before I get into even more numbers about Kansas. So then you had Pat Ryan happen, right? And so that's New York's 19th district. And the polling showed that he was down by eight, and then he won by four, and he ran on abortion. So he was very purposeful about that. And Brent, I thought of you that night, just you know, it was just a couple of nights ago. And the reason for, and I think I even mentioned you on air about it, because 
the polling is of likely voters. But a lot of new voters are registering and none of them are in the likely voter bucket. So this might be a way, a hidden wave that nobody sees coming. Yeah, not just a lot of new voters. Um, I actually looked into the numbers with the help of uh, Harrison Triplett, who's an assistant of mine on, on various things, law and politics. And the in Kansas, after Roe v. Wade was overturned, voter registration increased by 10 times, okay? Even in Missouri, which is you know a border state uh, to us right here in the area, there was no abortion ballot measure even on the ballot in the primary. But after Roe v. Wade was overturned, their voter registration increased by sixfold, sixfold. And the number of in Kansas, the number of vote by mail participants doubled. The total turnout in this primary election compared to the last midterm election, which was the year that I ran in 2018, doubled. I mean, people are feeling this to their core. You know, and one thing that one thing I've noticed might, you know, I think. You you know my wife or you know know her a little bit or have met her. Um, she's a great progressive activist here in Kansas as well, and you know pays a lot of attention to these kind of things. And I'll tell you when I when I talk to her about um, this issue in particular, it just I can tell that she feels it diff, just differently than any other issue. And you know obviously you know there's a lot of men out there, myself included, who care very very much about this issue. But when I talk to her and when I talk to other women, and even when I talk to women who haven't really been that involved in politics, they are they feel personally attacked and offended and victimized. Like they they see right before themselves that their rights are being stripped right away from them, right in front of their face. And we had an amazing opportunity here in Kansas for them to go and directly voice their opposition to any kind of terrible law taking their rights away. And we saw exactly what happened. Yeah, and so first of all, there's a couple of lessons that come out of that. But before I even get to that, so you ran in Kansas three, and Sharice Davids wound up winning, and she's the current incumbent Democrat in that in that district. And people are really worried about her seat. That that's one of the seats they're most worried about, right? But given right. what you're saying specifically about Kansas, it seems like that seat might be in much better shape than Democrats realize. That, that's what you know. I, I've been asked um, whether I think she's going to win in November. I think she is going to win. I really do. I would be now. You know, um, I don't agree with a lot of the ways that she legislates. I don't agree with a lot of the ways even that she um, does her politics. Uh, you know, or kind of uh, you know her her methods. But I will say this: um, I think she has a very very good chance of winning. I hope she will. Um, you know, voice. Um, important, you know, stances on issues like this, and and try to get out in front and that kind of thing. But but I think um, at least in this particular district, and probably a lot of districts like it, um, but Democrats have a really good chance of winning. Now, with a huge caveat to say that we've seen how many times over and over and over again throughout my entire life, uh, when Democrats have an, an incredible opportunity like this, they screw it up. And how do they do it? Well, one thing they do is in primaries, they tell everyone that the progressive can't win in the general. Then in the general, they try, they, they have candidates who don't believe it, who try to kind of run on progressive issues. And then when they trick the voters into voting for them, thinking they'll do progressive change, they get to Washington and do almost nothing to actually try to get it accomplished. So is she actually gonna win or is there a good chance the Democratic Party in general is gonna screw this up? 
I think there's a really, really good chance of that as well. Yeah, I got it at 50-50. So look, (laughs) one of the issues with the Democratic Party is they say like, hey, you gotta vote for corporate Democrats like Sharice Davids, right? Um, Especially in places like Kansas, because it's more conservative. But if it turns out Kansas isn't that conservative, and then it takes away their excuse to keep voting for economically right-wing positions that their donors want. And so it's maybe a mixed place. Maybe that's why the Democrats aren't running as hard on abortion. Because if they do and they just landslide the Republicans in a year that the Democrats were supposed to lose, they might be out of excuses. So, but but in terms of the two most important takeaways, run on abortion in this cycle and 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 do more ballot measures, because at least that way you can get straight to the house. Does that make sense? Absolutely. We need to do as many ballot measures around the country as we can possibly do, that's for sure. Unfortunately, in Kansas, um, only the Republicans can do a ballot measure because it has to go through the legislature. But there are a lot of states where the people can do it directly. So um, please, I hope people will do that in the states where it's allowed. Yeah, and, and you say run unabashedly and aggressively on abortion in this cycle? I think so. Yes, that and so many of the of progressive issues that are so important. You know, I mean, student loan debt. You know, all kinds of those kind of things. Why would the establishment Democrats run away from those kind of things? The people are really, really needing and desperate for that kind of change. All right, Brent Welder, giving us great news out of the middle of Kansas. So thank you, brother. We appreciate it. All right, thanks, Jake.